You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drew Wright. Well, good morning, church. Uh, let, let me first just uh, say, you guys probably noticed I came up too early on that song. Um, yeah, that was uh, not a little, little early, so I apologize to the worship team for that. Uh, my bad, Paul. That said, I hope you guys are having a great summer, um, and I can laugh at myself, uh, but since Memorial Day, we have been looking at the book of Psalms, and we've been kind of taking a psalm out every single week, and we've been walking through it. And so today, we're going to be in Psalm 8, and I'm really, I'm going to jump right in it, and we're going to dive right through it really quick, because there's kind of a lot to cover, and um, we don't have a ton of time. So Psalm 8, verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims, the ocean currents. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Let me pray over this, this passage, and then we're, we'll jump into it. God, thank you for your word and the way that it speaks life into our lives. Father, today, as, as we talk about this psalm and we walk through um, just this, this beautifully written poem, uh, Father, I pray that you would help us understand what it means more today, and that as we respond to it, we would walk out of this place changed. Um, God, we know that your word does not come back, bo- come back void, and, and so we're praying that the investment of this passage into our lives um, would be something that, that, that makes a difference in our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Now, this is a, a beautifully written poem, and it's a, it's a famous psalm in, in, as far as the Bible's concerned. It's talked about quite a bit throughout Scripture, um, but what does it mean? As you, as you read it, like it, it sounds really beautiful, but, but what's it talking about? And I think before we can have a response to any word from the Bible, which is a really great way, it's one of my favorite ways to read the Bible, right? What's my response? I've read this, now what's my response to what I have read? To get that, we've got to begin to understand what it means. And I'm, I'm going to say that you're never going to fully understand any passage of Scripture. Uh, if you think that you do, you're wrong. Um, people have been studying the Bible for thousands of years, and we are still figuring it out. We're still understanding more and more of its meaning because that's the nature of scripture Um, but we can begin to understand any one text and so today we're going to look at this psalm and and let's start by looking for some clues as to what it could mean like what is it talking about well first the last line repeats the first line verse one and verse nine are almost identical in the way that they they look and the way that they read and I think that, that that's really intentional by the writer because they serve as bookends when I look at them they're, they're serving more as like bumpers when you go bowling uh, real uh, test of honesty here how many of y'all when you go bowling you use the bumpers in here some of y'all lying this morning uh, yeah some of y'all I know you you need or maybe you should use them let me say that you should be using the bumpers um, the whole point of bumpers is what? When you put the bumpers up, what's it, what's, what, what's it meant to do? Keep you from in the gutter, like going in the gutter, right? They're supposed to keep you in the middle and supposed to keep you uh, focused on the thing that you're supposed to be like hitting, which are the pins at the end of the, the time. And if you get a zero with bumpers up, like that's a whole different specialty. Um, 
So whenever we're reading scripture and, and, and bumpers like this present themselves where something starts and ends the exact same way, in scripture they're super helpful because they give us a better understanding or a better direction for any given passage. And I think that's what they do here in Psalm 8. They read identical. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. So right away we can see that at some level this psalm has to do with the majesty of God. And how his majesty is filling the earth with his name. If we get nothing else out of this psalm, this is a really important piece to get. Talking about God's majesty. So what is God's majesty? I mean, what is is majesty in general? If I were to say you look majestic this morning, some of you would be like, that's weird. Because it's not a term that we use really that often in our world. Uh, probably the most recent time that you've heard this outside of church would be like when you're watching the Winter Olympics and you're watching ice skating because that's the only time anybody watches ice skating is the Winter Olympics. If you're watching ice skating any other time, like we need to have a conversation. Um, but yeah, we, we watch it. I love watching ice skating, but you may be watching it and the, the ice skater would do like a triple sow cow, right? They, they jump in the air and they spin and they land and it's... it's and the, the commentator will say something like, oh, she's, she's skating simply majestic. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But we, have, we really don't know. We're like, I, I think that just means they're really good. Um, and I think that's actually one definition of the word majesty. It's impressive. It means dignity. It means beauty. There's another definition of the word, though, and it means royal power. And I think in this psalm, I think both apply. Both describe God's majesty. And it says that his majesty, his royal power, his beauty, his impressiveness, that it fills the earth. It says your glory is higher than the heavens. So not only everything that we can see, creation, you go out and you look at the mountains, the ocean, you can see those those moments of God's beauty and creation. You can go see those things. But it's also, he says, your glory is higher than the heavens. So if you go out on a clear night, and you look up at the stars in the sky and see the moon. In Tulsa, you don't see a whole lot of stars because of light pollution. But if you go out into like the back country in Oklahoma where there's not a whole lot of lights, you can see a lot of stars. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And that's what the writer's telling us. He's like, hey, the heavens that you see, he's not talking about heaven. He says the heavens, which is the moon and the stars and all of that. He says God's glory, his majesty goes beyond that. It's more than anything we can comprehend. But then he contrasts this majesty in a really unique way. And, and this is where his majesty starts to get a little weird. Because in verse 2, he says something kind of outside of the ordinary. He says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. Or, Silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. I think the ESV actually reads a little bit better here. And it's a better translation where it says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Babies, arguably one of the weakest forms of human life. Uh, I, I say that we have an eight-month-old, and she is perfect and precious, and they're going to put a picture of her. Like, she is uh, unbelievably cute. Um, but let me be honest, she's not taking anybody, anybody down. Um, Why well, I say that, she may take another eight-month-old down. I would give her that, uh, you know, um, she, she's, she's got, like, the second picture, she went to the zoo the other day. Like, she got some grit in her. Um, she's mean mugging a little bit there, uh, but she's not a threat in terms of global power. (laughs) She's not, she's not a threat to taking an adult down, but that's what the writer says. He says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength 
Now, this word strength here is synonymous with the word for refuge or stronghold in Hebrew. It's a term that, that means protection. It's describing God's power and his protection in this world. And, and this is where God's majesty, where it's talking about God's majesty, because it come, becomes a little odd in this moment. Because it doesn't say that God's power is displayed in power. It's not displayed in his power. So how's it displayed? His power is displayed in weakness, like babies and infants. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. What's it saying? It's saying God's majesty, his, his power, his royal power is shown through weakness. His, his power is shown th- uh, through weakness. His strength is shown through weakness. His success over his enemies. It's shown through things like babies, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But that's what he's saying here. In verses eight, uh, 3 through 8, if you keep reading, it, it furthers this. It says, when I look at the night sky and I see the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, the heavens. He says, what are mere mortals? What are humans that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything that you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. God's majesty, his beauty, his royal power in defeating enemies and ruling the world comes not in the way that we think it will. It's never power with power. It's never abilities with abilities. It's always, God's strength always shows up in Scripture over and over and over again, strength through weakness, strength through weakness. That's a paradoxical nature of God that we see from Genesis 1 through the end. He consistently works through the lowly, the weak, the outcast to show his strength. Over and over through Scripture, we see God not using already powerful people to become more powerful. He doesn't grab the most capable people and elevate them. No, he grabs people with no ability. He says, hey, I'm going I'm to pick you out, I'm going to pluck you out, and I'm going to put you in a place where only I can show up and you can be exalted. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, we've been walking through with, with our college kids through the book of Judges, is the story of Samson. And every time you see Samson depicted... It's always like this, this dude that's like shirtless with giant muscles, and he's like huge. But I actually don't think that's what Samson looked like. like the more I study Samson, the more I'm like, it's, it's when God's supernatural spirit came upon him and gave him supernatural strength. Big muscles would be what? Natural strength. So supernatural strength would be a guy like, like me, God showing up in strength in that moment. He's still doing that today. He's still showing up in normal people, regular people, the weak, the lowly, the the humble. But so often we miss it because we are looking for ability when we should be looking for anointing. We should be looking for God's presence showing up in people's lives. We keep looking for strength. We keep looking for abilities when we should be looking for weakness. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense to us because we look for capability and, and God's like, no, 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 no. It's in your weakness that I show up and my strength is shown. If anybody displays this in their life, Jesus displays this. And he displays it throughout his life. Moment after moment, we see him showing up. Cleansing lepers, healing the lame, causing the blind to see. But we see it really come through in a, in a story in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 verse 1 it says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the Pound of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them, 
his disciples, the them there's his disciples on ahead. It says, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Now, if you don't know the Bible very well, this, this actually should seem odd to you, and, and you may completely pass over this moment. But why does Jesus do this? You ever thought about that? Like, why does he willingly choose to ride in on a donkey? It's the only time that we see Jesus ever acting this way. To our knowledge, every other time that Jesus travels, he walks. Pretty much everywhere. I mean, even when, when the disciples get on the boat, Jesus is like walking on the water. Like, I mean, he walks everywhere. So why in this moment that we call the triumphal entry, which is a significant moment in the story of Jesus' life, why does Jesus do this? Why does he choose to ride in on a donkey? Well, Matthew, luckily, when you're reading the book of Matthew, Matthew gives you some writer's notes in there as he's writing this gospel out, and he gives us a note here in verses 4 and 5 of why he does this. He says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now Matthew, he's quoting specifically from the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, when Zechariah said, Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So what's Matthew doing? Matthew's letting the reader know who Jesus is in this moment. He's giving you some insight to who Jesus is. He's like telling you the end of the story. He's like, spoiler alert, he's our king. This is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's been promised from the beginning, come to rescue us and be the hero of your story. But it also shows us this principle that God works through the lowly. Jesus riding on a donkey. That is not how any king would enter a city. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't come in on a, on a colt. But Jesus comes in on the donkey, and what do the people do? They go wild for him. Strange, right? And they, they start throwing their coats on the ground and palm branches, and they're shouting him, Hosanna, praise the, the, the son of David has come. And it seems like they, they get it, like they understand, hey, he's the king. But then they're asked, well, who is it? And they say, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Maybe you, say, you may say, maybe saying, Drew, why are we talking about this? Like, what is, what is this story in Matthew 21 about Jesus riding on a donkey? What's this have to do with Psalm 8? It has everything to do with Psalm 8. Because Psalm 8 is teaching us about how God's majesty works, how his royal power, his strength shows up in the world, and why we often miss it. I think the people in Matthew 21, some of them got it right, but I think some of them clearly missed it because they missed King Jesus coming in. Like they get that he's the son of David and they, they say that, but then they just call him another prophet. But if you keep reading, Jesus shows up, he goes into the temple, sees the people changing money and doing all that stuff, and he gets righteously angry, turns the tables over, pushes some people out of the temple. But then he, in verse 14 it says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and even heard the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders, and if you're, if you're reading and you're taking notes, like these are the ones who had authority. In the temple, these guys had authority. They had power. It says they were indignant. And they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? 
Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Which is a clear shot. Jesus is, is like, there's a little bit of some sarcasm coming through right here. And I love it about Jesus because these guys that he's talking to, they've devoted their life to scripture. These guys that Jesus is talking to, they know scripture better than any of you in this room, I guarantee you. Because they have the whole Old Testament memorized. Word for word. They, they've memorized the whole thing. They've been studying the word uh, since they were probably like seven or eight years old. And they had the Torah memorized by the time they were ten. If they're the, the, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, like they knew the Old Testament. And Jesus goes, haven't you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> He's like, have you ever read Psalm 8? And here Jesus is pointing to two things. One, I believe he is pointing directly to who he is in this moment, namely the king that's mentioned in Zechariah 9.9. He's, he's saying, I am that guy. What the kids are saying about me, that's true. I am the king. But he's also pointing to Psalm 8. And that God's majesty isn't just raw power displayed, because Jesus could have come in in any way. He could have come in and taken over and overthrown Rome and all of that kind of, like, he could have done what everybody was expecting him to do, but he doesn't. Because it's power through the lowly, through humility. It's through the mouth of these children who, who I think they get it. They see who Jesus is, that God's majesty, his royal power is being, is shown up in Jesus' life, not in the way that we think, which is, is strength. It's coming through weakness. If you continue in the psalm, verse 6, it says that, that humans, I'm going to back up to verse 5, it says, you have made them only a little lower than God and crowned them, he's talking about man, with glory and honor. You gave them, humans, charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. What's this saying? Well, if you look at Paul's writing, Paul talks about Psalm 8 a couple of times. He does it in Ephesians, he does it in Galatians, and he does it in 1 Corinthians. And that's what we're going to look at right now. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where I think Paul really, he sees this disconnect between the authority of man described in Psalm 8 and, and the way that we see the authority of man over creation in the world today. Because we really don't see it in the world today. I mean, if you think about natural disasters, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, like the power that Jesus displays over creation when he calms the wind and the waves, we don't have that. I mean, I can barely get my dog to obey me most of the time. Like if he, he's going wild in the backyard, like I'm just waiting to, for him to get tired. That, that's as, as much as I got. So what's David talking about that we have authority over creation? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, it says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has, has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. If you jump down to verse 27, it says, For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. I want you to, that, that should, you should key on some words there, all things under his authority. Who's it talking about? God. That all things are under God's authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. It says, verse 28, then when all things are under his authority, God's authority, Christ's authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly, utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Okay, so how does what Paul says, that all things will be put under Christ's authority, 
how does that interact with what David is saying in Psalm 8, that God's put creation under our authority, under our feet? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that Adam, when God created Adam in Genesis chapter 1, <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, he's saying Adam served as the beginning of humanity. But when Jesus shows up, he is starting, he is coming as a second Adam, and he's coming to start a new humanity, a different way of life, a different way of living than, than we've been living for thousands of years. And that those who belong to Christ, those who have surrendered their lives, that have recognized our sin, and we have salvation in Jesus, those people that belong to Jesus, that we will share with Jesus and his authority. We will be directly under his authority over creation. And we see that. If you, you skip to the end of the book where, where the story is told, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21 says, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. When he's talking about those who are victorious, he's saying those who are found in Christ. He says, just as I was victorious and sat on my father, with my father on his throne. It's because we belong to Jesus that he will give us authority over creation again. That's what he's talking about, that we are crowned with glory and honor, that we are placed in a seat that we don't belong to. We are not entitled to that other than what Christ has done in our life. So in this psalm, what are we seeing? Four things. First, we see that God created man to rule over creation. That's clear. It's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion or authority over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's what... When David wrote Psalm 8, he is having this verse in his mind. He knows this verse intimately. The creation of man, what we were made to do. But he also understands that we as humans messed it all up because of sin and through death. It's Genesis 3, right? Genesis 2, we're supposed to be authority over creation. Genesis 3, it's all messed up. I want you to think about life before the fall, though one of the jobs God gave Adam. Name the animals. How do you think that happened? Like, he had to have some, some, some physical authority. Think about Noah and the ark. That tells Noah, he's like, hey, I'm going to wipe out the earth. You're going to build this boat, and then I need you to go out and get all the animals and bring them in two by two. He just take a leash out into the wilderness and was like, hey, lion, he put this on. He had supernatural authority given specifically by God over creation. Jesus shows up as this new humanity that deals with sin and death on our behalf. And it's literally, it's not in Jesus' strength. It's in his weakness, in the cross, in him choosing the lowly way, the way of humility, the way of self-sacrifice, being mocked, beaten, crucified on the cross, dying on the cross, that he actually becomes victorious. Like he wins through losing. And it's only when we belong to him that we regain what humanity once has, which is this place of honor alongside Christ. This authority over creation. And I believe that happens in the life to come when Christ returns. And all of that is why God's majesty, and I think it's his weird unique majesty that's displayed through the weak, through the lowly, that that is filling the earth. That's what this psalm is talking about. And it should drive us to praising him in the midst of our weakness. 
knowing that, that it's not in our strength that God shows up. It's in our weak moments. It's in brokenness. Like if you're just walking around and you're thinking, hey, I've got I've to muster up some strength. I've got to just do this following Jesus. I've got to do it on my, my like you're, you're missing it. And you're probably going to miss Jesus working in your life consistently. Let's pray. As you close your eyes and bow your heads this morning, my first question is, is have you recognized that sin has separated you from God? And that it's only by surrendering to him that you can, that you can be saved. Like that, that, if you want Jesus to work in your life, if you want God to work in your life, if you want him to see, to see him show up, like it starts there. It starts with surrendering to him. If you're weak, if, you, if, if you're feeling broken, like this psalm should, it should be good news to you. That that's exactly where you need to be for God to use you. But it starts with giving him our life. Make that decision today. If, you're, if, if that's something that you're like, hey, I need to do that. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to follow these teenagers who gave their life to Jesus and got baptized just now. Now make that decision. Here in a moment, we're going to pray. I'll pray. We're going to actually stand. I'll pray. During that prayer time, like if you need to make that decision, just sneak out of, of your seat and go to the back over here in the corner there's a spot where a couple of our pastors will be and they would love to walk with you through that decision and, and show you what it means to give your life to Jesus but maybe you're sitting here with your eyes closed and you're still convinced God's power is displayed through power that it's through your abilities, it's through your strength, and you, and you think, I've got to be strong, I've just got to get through it, I've got to muster up this, this, this inner strength. It's only when you're weak that God's strength shows up in our life. If you keep trying to be strong, that's pride. And I can promise you, pride will completely hinder God from showing up in your life and working in your life. I believe you can manipulate some things and call it God working. You can manipulate some things and call it a blessing. But if it's really a blessing, if it's really God showing up in your life, those things are never supposed to stop with us. Here, here's a, the, the, the thermometer test. If God's working in your life, do you see him using you in the lives of other people? Like are other people coming to know, to know Jesus through your life? Do you see him working through your life and in your life on a regular basis? And if no, why not? Like, why are you not seeing God working in your life? Because if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not seeing God regularly work in your life, that should concern you. That should be a red flag going off in your life. That something is present in your life that's blocking God from working through your life. Because our lives as believers are always meant to be a vessel that God works through into the life of other people. So here's this response time. It's threefold. First, if you need to make a decision, I want you to move to the back of the room. Like as soon as we pray and stand, like the moment that we ask you all to stand and I start praying, you can move then. Like go ahead and move to the back at that moment. If you need to get baptized and you're like, hey, I need to follow Jesus in that. I need to join the church. I need to get plugged in. That's your time to move. Second part of it. 
if you have something that you know is hindering God from working in your life, maybe it's something you're holding on to, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's pride, maybe it's a wrong belief, maybe it's sin, this is a great time. Use this time to confess those things. Pray about those things to God. Maybe today you need to come to this altar. Use these steps at the front of the church. Lay it up here. Leave it up here. Like, pray about it. Leave it here. Walk away. The third part is if you're seeing God move in your life, and you believe, hey, I'm giving him my weakness. I'm giving him my brokenness. Like, that's my story. I just continually just give God my brokenness. Give him my weakness. Give him my story. Hey, God, I'm, I'm just giving you it all. It's when I do that that I see God show up over and over and over again. If you're seeing God show up in your life, that should always, always, always move us to praise. Like that's actually the only appropriate response. When we see God show up in our life, it should, it, we should praise. So in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if you're seeing God move, man, let's respond in praise to God today. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. good all the time in moments where things seem to be going right but you're also good in all of the moments where it seems like everything's falling apart and we feel weak and unusable and broken God I know it's, it's in those moments of brokenness it's in those moments of weakness that you're made strong that you don't need strong and powerful people it's out of the mouth of babies and infants the weak, the lowly, that you show up and move in this world. And so God, would, would we as a church, would we recognize that and not strive for abilities or capabilities or talent? But God, we would look for where you're moving and join you in that work. God, today as we praise you, as we sing songs of praise, Lord, would it just come out of the overflow of what we see you doing in our life? love you, Jesus. God, you do what only you can in this moment. You move hearts and lives of people. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.